0: Peace be upon you. God willing, this week I want to talk about the subject of uh, apathy. Uh, twice in the Quran, it mentions apathy. And uh, to understand what this is uh, in reference to, uh, it helps to read the definition of the word apathy to start. So apathy is a feeling of having no interest in or enthusiasm about anything, or of not being willing to make any effort to change things. And usually the connotation of apathy when it's used uh, it's in regards to others uh, you know you say someone is apathetic to the situation that other people are in and to the circumstances that other pe- people are dealing with and usually when you call someone apathetic uh, that's the context by which it's used uh, what's interesting the two times that it's mentioned in the quran the context that it's used is the the uh, when people are apathetic to their own situation uh, their own circumstances that they don't take an active approach to fix things and uh, the first time it's mentioned is in chapter 4, verse 97 through 99. It reads, the subtitle is Apathy Condemned. It says, Those whose lives are terminated by the angels while in a state of wronging their souls, the angels will ask them, What was the matter with you? They will say, We were oppressed on earth. They will say, Was God's earth not spacious enough for you to emigrate therein? For these, the final abode is hell and a miserable destiny. Exempted are the weak men, women, and children who do not possess the strength nor the means to find a way out. These may be pardoned by God, God is pardoner, forgiver. And you see that it's not an excuse to not be able to worship God freely by saying that you're oppressed uh, if you have the means by which you can leave. Uh, God is telling these people that, you know, why didn't you emigrate therein? And they said, oh, we were oppressed on earth. Uh, That's not an excuse. That's we're not allowed to be complacent to our situation. Uh, We have to take an active approach. Uh, That if we're not allowed to worship God freely, we actively pursue uh, the path of uh, uh, immigrating in the cause of God and changing the situation if we can. And um, the second time it's mentioned is in 579. Again, the subtitle is Apathy Condemned. It reads, they did not enjoin one another from committing evil. Miserable indeed is what they did. You would see many of them allying themselves with those who disbelieve. Miserable indeed is what their hands have sent forth on behalf of their souls. God is angry with them, and consequently, they will abide forever in retribution had they believed in God and the prophet. And what was revealed to him therein, they would not have befriended them, but many of them are evil. And the default situation for most people is to be apathetic, uh, to be complacent to the situation, their environment, their circumstances. And um, uh, a perfect depiction of this actually took place on 60 Minutes. They did an interview a while back. And it was entitled The Hidden Holocaust. And it was following this priest who was going back and finding these uh, these villages and small towns uh, that the uh, Nazis held mass executions. And up until his research, the belief was that these executions happened in secrecy. And the people of the town and the village didn't know about them. And what he uncovered was the fact that this was a known occurrence, uh, that the people of the town in mass would come to watch uh, the execution of these individuals. And um, they felt, you know, they didn't feel compelled to say anything, do anything. And they kept this to themselves for literally 50 years uh, until this priest went and uncovered this. And it just shows how apathetic people are to the situation. They're seeing people being uh, oppressed, uh, killed, um, you know, tortured, whatever. And they're not doing anything. They're not feeling like a threat. And um, there's a quote from uh, Abraham Joshua Herschel. Uh, famous rabbi, it says, few are guilty, but all are responsible, right? Few people pulled the trigger, but everyone who witnessed that event was responsible to take action, to do something, to not be in a place where we're complacent to the atrocities and the, uh, the victimization that's taking place in mass. Um, and it's our duty to either actively leave those situations Uh, to try to change the situation, do something uh, to not be tolerant of such actions. Um, Continuously in the Quran, God tells us to advocate righteousness and forbid evil. And um, in the three times, it's in chapter 3, verse 103 through 114, uh, it makes the statement to advocate righteousness and forbid evil. In 3, 104, it reads, Let there be a community of you who invite to what is good, Advocate righteousness and forbid evil. These are the winners. And um, uh, again, in three one ten, it says, You are the best community ever raised among the people. You advocate righteousness and you forbid evil. And you believe in God. If the followers of the scripture believed, it would be better for them. Some of them do believe, but the majority of them are wicked. And again, in chapter 3, verse 114, it says, They believe in God in the last day, and they advocate righteousness and forbid evil. And they hasten to do righteous works, these are the righteous. And we see that continuously, if we want to be the best community, we want in a community uh, is just people who believe in and worship God alone, we have to be able to advocate righteousness and forbid evil. And um, there's a quote from Malcolm X that says, A man who stands for nothing will fall for anything. And the way that we advocate righteousness and forbid evil is we have to understand what is righteous and what is evil. And if we come to the point where we're desensitized to being being able to differentiate between good and bad, then we have no clue what we stand for. And I'm going to repeat the quotes, as a man who stands for nothing will fall for anything. And we see time and time again, politicians, mass media, uh, you know, marketers and stuff like that, they can twist the people's emotions to have them fall for something that they know deep down is wrong. Uh, because they're so uh, elegant and they make such a compelling emotional argument uh, that people just follow blindly. Uh, there is anyone who's familiar with these late night TV shows uh, like Jimmy Fallon um, and uh, who's the other guy? Trying to blank on his name. But nevertheless, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, sorry. <clears throat> they would go and they would interview people after the uh, U.S. presidential debate and they would ask, hey, why are you so uh, <laughs> you know, uh, in love with this one candidate? And it's hilarious how little – People really understand the issues and why they like someone. And uh, there was one in particular. This was a a different um, uh, interviewer. But he was asking someone who stood in line at 5.30 a.m. to get an autograph from Hillary Clinton. And she was just enamored with how much she loved Hillary and everything like that and said, you know, why do you love her so much? It's like, oh, I stand for what she stands for. It's like, what does she stand for? And she was dumbfounded. And then he asked, what do you stand for? And she didn't know. And the reality is most people have no clue what their moral foundation is. What are the ethics by which they live by? And for anyone who's a submitter, we realize that what we stand for basically verbatim is in the Quran. uh, To advocate righteousness, to forbid evil, to uh, basically follow the commandments that God has set forth. uh, God being most gracious, most merciful. We try to emanate these same characteristics. And um, there's a famous experiment. It was called the Milgram experiment. And uh, this was, uh, again, after World War II, the question was, how is it possible that so many people uh, were just complacent uh, to the situation around them during uh, you know, Nazi Germany uh, that they allowed such atrocities to take place? So what the Milgram experiment did was it had a subject and then an actor and then someone who posed as the experimenter. And what it said, it was basically it said uh, had the uh, actor go behind the screen. And then the subject was to ask them a series of questions, and if they got the questions wrong, they were supposed to shock them uh, by pushing a button. And each time, the voltage would increasingly go up to the point that literally would probably kill the person. And uh, they wanted to see how many people went along with the experiment. When someone told them to shock the individual, even though that they hear him screaming, and agonizing in pain, how many people carried through? And the vast majority of people did. When someone told them to carry on with the experiment, we have to conduct the experiment, they became complacent, and despite their better judgment, they continued to, you know, think that they were shocking this uh, this actor. And um, what it goes to show is that people, you know, we become complacent when someone gives us an order, as opposed to thinking rationally and thinking for ourselves and thinking independently. We go with the herd. We go with the crowd. And uh, what's interesting, they did a meta analysis on the Milgram experiment. They wanted to see who were the individuals who didn't follow through with the instructions. And uh, one of the common themes was that the individuals were hard-headed. They were considered to be difficult people to work with. And, you know, in our organizations, in our mosque, in our scripture studies, we might have individuals who are hard-headed. They don't really basically go with the flow of everyone. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because, in all honesty, what happens is when they're able to speak out, maybe they're right. Maybe it's enough uh, of an indication for others to have courage uh, to make the right decision. And um, what's interesting to that is uh, they did a, uh, another experiment. It was called the uh, – uh, 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 the video is actually Dangerous Conformity. And they took a bunch of uh, individuals uh, and one by one, they put them into a room. And they said, hey, wait here until the uh, the experiment's ready to be conducted. And what they did is in the adjacent room, they had smoke come into the room. And they wanted to see how long the subjects waited there before they uh, evacuated the room. And when it was just one individual with the smoke, immediately they would leave. Uh, They would see something's up. They'd go check it out. And they'd say, okay, got to get out of here. But what happens when you put that individual with a group of actors who are told, hey, Under no circumstances are you allowed to leave the room, and just look absolutely calm. And they wanted to see what happens to the subject uh, under these circumstances. So again, they're in this room; they're sitting quietly in a circle, uh, each doing their own thing. And then all of a sudden, smoke starts filling the room, and the the uh, hidden cameras look at the subject to see how they react. And most subjects are looking for cues from the other majority uh, to see, you know, why aren't they responding? Why aren't they acting? Why aren't they doing anything? And the vast majority of them end up sitting there for on average 13 minutes before they say anything. And uh, they they interviewed someone who's a specialist and they said, look, if if this was real smoke, this was a real uh, fire, within that amount of time, uh, they would have died from asphyxiation. They would have passed out and they would have been engulfed by the fire. And the thing was that people realized that they were in potential imminent danger. And as opposed to acting rationally, they sat there complacently because they were looking for cues from all the other individuals around them. And since they weren't panicked, they figured, okay, maybe I'm just overreacting. And um, when they did brain scans of these individuals to see, you know, what was going on in their brain, uh, what they found that was interesting. uh, First, that they were – the part of their brain that was dealing with logic and reason was quieted down. And the part of the brain that dealt with uh, which one, visual cortex was activated to the point that they were taking responses from other people uh, as fact as opposed to what their eyes and their ears were telling them. Um, and even though they realized that this is a dangerous situation, they failed to react. And um, this manipulation of the mind is interesting because... The ones who did speak out, the part of the brain that activated was their fear response uh, because they were scared uh, that what if they, you know, by going against the crowd, by going against the norm, uh, they would be outcast. They would be chastised for it. And you see that the devil uses the same principles to convince us to go with the crowd, to go with the majority. It says uh, in Psalm 179, and so Satan hypnotizes his constituents. It says, we have committed to hell multitudes of jinns and humans. They have minds by which they do not understand, eyes by which they do not see, and ears by which they do not hear. They are like animals. No, they are far worse. They are totally unaware. And um, you realize that, you know, despite seeing things with their own eyes uh, that they fail to see, hearing things with their own ears they fail to hear because they take cues not from their own logic and reason, but from the majority of the people that are around them. And this could be a very dangerous situation. And then you see that the ones who uh, want to say something, that their fear response kicks in and, and basically debilitates them from being able to speak out or take action. And in 3.175, says, fear the devil's tool. It says, it is the devil's system to instill fear into his subjects. Do not fear them and fear me instead if you are believers. So this shows that you know this is the tactic that the devil uses. To scare their, in, these individuals uh, to basically fall for his trap. And um, how do we kind of break ourselves from this? You know, how do we basically position ourselves to be able to be successful, to be able to see through uh, uh, these, uh, these tricks of the devil? And one of the main things is knowing what we stand for. Uh, By knowing what we stand for, we can test any kind of circumstance, any kind of event to our moral compass, to our uh, foundation to see, is this something that, you know, uh, we need to respond to? And in the same verses that it's talking about apathy, we see it talking about um, uh, not following our parents blindly. And in 5104, it says, when they are told, come to what God has revealed into the messenger. They say, what we found our parents doing is sufficient for us. What if their parents knew nothing and were not guided? Now, O oh, you who believe, you should worry only about your own necks. If the others go astray, they cannot hurt you. As long as you are guided to God as your ultimate destiny, all of you, then he will inform you of everything you had done. So we see that, you know, if we're just following blindly, especially someone is you know, love to us as our parents, uh, this is a uh, major kind of a red flag. Uh, We have to be able to think for ourselves and think critically. Uh, We can't just accept inherited information, especially when it has to do with our salvation. Uh, It's something that every individual has to take responsibility. It's not something that we can pass to our parents, uh, our imams, our scholars, our priests, our monks, whatever. It's something that each individual has to come to a uh, logical understanding for themselves, for the benefit of themselves. It's too important of a decision to be left in the hands of others. Uh, because we're dealing with our own eternity. And what else is interesting about this verse is, oh, you believe you should worry only about your own necks. Uh, And to me, this is basically an indication that we're not allowed to use uh, aggression or force uh, in these circumstances to change other people. If other people want to go astray, that's their own neck. We're only responsible for ourselves uh, to the point that there is never an excuse to use compulsion in religion to force people to be righteous. Um, And we see this in 2.256, there's no compulsion in religion. There shall be no compulsion in religion. The right way is now distinct from the wrong way. Anyone who denounces the devil and believes in God has grasped the strongest bond, one that never breaks. God is here omniscient. And, um, you know, consistently we see the only time in the Quran that we're allowed to use uh, any form of aggression, is in the sense of self-defense. Uh, if someone aggresses against us, then we're allowed to use an uh, equitable response. Uh, but by no means are we allowed to be the aggressors. Uh, and you see this consistently, these quote-unquote Islamic nations that are trying to force people to be you know, their version of righteous, which is surprisingly very unrighteous. Um, what else is interesting in the sense of uh, apathy and how to break this kind of uh, uh, this uh, tactic is is the importance of the people we surround ourselves with. And uh, just like 597 reads about apathy, 577, uh, the title is Choose Your Friends Carefully. It says, so "Say o people of the scripture do not transgress the limits of your religion beyond the truth, and do not fall the opinions of people who have gone astray and have misled multitudes of people. They are far astray from the right path. Condemned are those who disbelieve among the children of Israel by the tongue of David and Jesus, the son of Mary. This is because they disobeyed and transgressed. And, um, we see from this verse, you know, the importance of the people we surround ourselves because they are the ones who basically we uh, inherently are going to set our baseline for. Uh, if we surround ourselves with people who are uh, unrighteous and commit evil acts and are corrupted, uh, then are basically passed to these behaviors. Uh, we end up tolerating them a lot more. But if we surround ourselves with people who have high moral integrity and uh, people that we want to emulate Uh, then it's going to increase our uh, threshold for uh, ourselves and the standard by which we live by. So it's very important. There's another experiment. called the uh, Ash Conformity Experiment. And this one, again, it was kind of the same premise. They had a subject come in and a group of actors uh, to basically participate in the experiment. And obviously the subject didn't know that the other individuals weren't part of the experiment but were actually actors. And what they did, they had a simple task. They said, hey, we're going to show you three lines. Let us know which one's the shortest line. And uh, what they wanted to do, see is when the group gave the wrong answer, is the subject going to side with the group or go with their own, uh, the, the actual truth? And what happened is so the, the experiment starts and the, everyone gives the right answers and then it gets to one question and then the group gives uh, a wrong answer. And then they wait to see what answer the individual gives. And keep in mind, this is a very simple task. Which line is the shortest? And the three lines, you're staring right there in front of you. And uh, what you found out was that the vast majority of people went with the group. Despite, Despite seeing for themselves which line was the shortest, they thought maybe they missed something and they just went with the group. And you see, this is similar to how... The brain scans showed that the people wouldn't see with their own eyes, that they actually went with what the group was telling them uh, to basically cover over the facts that they were seeing in their own eyes. And uh, the way that they were able to get people back to, the, to being able to declare the truth was they did a couple variations of this experiment. One of them is they said, hey, we're going to have another participant go in there and also give the right answer. And uh, to see, is this enough basically push for the, uh, the subject to give the right answer? And sure enough, it was. Just by having one other individual speak the truth, it gave that individual enough courage to give the, uh, the right answer. So they said, okay, what if we give someone in there who gives uh, a wrong answer different from what the rest of the group was? And again, they brought someone in and the, the individual gave the uh, wrong answer, but different than what the rest of the group gave, and then they waited for the subject, and that push was enough for the subject to give the right answer. So it shows when you have an environment, when you can tolerate difference of understandings and opinions despite them being right or wrong, it al- at least allows someone who sees the truth to speak up, to give the right answer. And um, all this, to me, uh, <clears throat> it has an important message. is this fact that we have to always side with God, despite what the surroundings uh, look like, what the people around us are telling us. You know, we have to make that firm decision to stand with God. And there's a quote that says, one with God is a majority. And a perfect example of this, twice in the Quran, is with Abraham. Uh, once as a youth and then once as an adult. And when he was a youth, he basically went against his whole uh, tribe and village uh, in their worship of idols. And um, he went to the extreme of destroying their idols and being willing to be thrown into the fire to prove a point uh, because he realized that there was nothing these idols can do to to hurt him. And there's a quote in the Quran in chapter five, I believe it says um, basically they uh, act righteousness, uh, behave righteously without any fear of any blame. And I'm butchering that, but it's a paraphrase, but that expression without fear of any blame. Uh, when we do something that's righteous in the cause of God, we never have to fear of blame. And the second example of Abraham is when he had the uh, debate with the king. Um, and there's questions as far as uh, historically who the king actually was. But nevertheless, you know, there was a king who said, I declare uh, who lives and dies. And Abraham courageously debated with him. Uh, despite the king having lesions of people who sided with him, Abraham was to stay firm and absolutely committed to God and spoke only the truth. And, um... Persevered through all that, so you know one of the, the the reasons I'm bringing this up is currently we're in this uh, mass refugee situation. Uh, a lot of the uh, tragedies that's taking place in uh, Syria, uh, in Iraq, and Afghanistan, where people are trying to flee in mass, um, we realize and it's a it's a sad situation. But the first question is, what took them so long? You know, didn't they realize for years that they were living in these oppressive regimes? and uh, the situation was only getting worse. And it shows, just like the people in the uh, fire experiment, the fact that the vast majority of them were complacent to the situation uh, allowed things to escalate to such levels of atrocity, uh, to the point that you know, people are fleeing in mass, uh, risking their lives, the lives of their families, uh, to get out of those situations. So you know, hopefully, if people take action early on, they can avoid being in such, uh, such dangerous situations. Now, the second takeaway from that is that, okay, it's taken place. These people are fleeing, and it's our duty as submitters to help out where we can. In 2258, it says, Those who emigrate for the sake of God then get killed or die. God will surely shower them with good provisions. God is certainly the best provider. Uh, So these individuals who are fleeing, they're emigrating the cause of God because they're being oppressed where they are. Uh, They're doing something that's righteous. They're taking that risk, they're putting their trust in God, and even if they lose their lives, God is saying he's going to make it up to them. So uh, despite seeing, you know, such uh, tragedies, we know that this is an experiment. And the experiment is to see how do we react to these individuals Uh, when they come to us? Are we giving them priority or are we being uh, cold-hearted and mean and uh, disregarding of them? And in 872, it says, surely those who believed and emigrated and strove with their money and their lives in the cause of God as well as those who hosted them and gave them refuge and supported them, they're allies of one another. So it's our duty that, you know, these individuals who are fleeing, if they're fleeing with the right intention to basically uh, leave the persecution that they're dealing with, uh, leave the violence and the, uh, the lack of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of religion, then it's our duty as submitters to help out where we can and uh, do our utmost to give them priority over ourselves. And if we do, it's a way for us to earn a lot of credit. In 59.9, it says, As for those who provided them with a home and refuge and were believers before them, they love those who immigrated to them and find no hesitation in their hearts in helping them. In fact, they readily give them priority over themselves, even when they themselves need what they give away. Indeed, those who overcome their natural stinginess are the successful ones. So this is an opportunity for us uh, to earn a lot of righteous credit uh, by being able to help out others in need. Uh, In such desperate times, it's actually an opportunity uh, for us to grow our souls. And there's a quote from Reverend Peter Marshall. It says, a different world cannot be built by indifferent people. Uh, We can't be indifferent to the situation we're in or the circumstances that arise to us. Um, And this isn't in the the sake of, say, for instance, uh, saying, oh, you have to be apathetic to the situations of others. But when you're approached with an opportunity to do something, Again, to advocate righteousness and forbid evil, we need to do our utmost to uh, take up these opportunities uh, to grow in righteousness. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got any comments or questions, hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.